Actually, what's going on is I'm starting a series today that's going to last for a little bit of time, and the name of the series is The Life of the Gospel. And I really want to look at the gospel in the sense of not, not just what it means to us and that we were delivered from, from death to life, that we were taken from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of, of light. But the idea of the picture, too, is our responsibility to the gospel once we come to Christ, that the gospel not only radically changes who we are and it radically changes how we live, but it has also commissioned us to proclaim and to share the good news that others might come to faith, that others might receive and know of the goodness of God. And I think sometimes we get anticipated in our life and we start going through all the motions of our life and and we kind of grow lazy and we kind of kind of go with through the motions and, and all of a sudden the, our lives aren't going through the grid of the gospel. Our lives are going through our individual grids. What's important? What's, what is our passion? What is our purpose? And it might be a job. It might be our family. It might be all of those things that are going on, a, a hobby. But re, the reality is that everything should go through the grid of the gospel in our life. And the way that we proclaim it and the way that we live it, that as I come to Christ and the gospel takes a hold of my life and I begin to understand the realities of what God has done in my life, it also compels me to share that gospel and to to live it out in a community in a world of chaos and darkness. And that our God has came and he's called us to that. So one of my goals over these next few weeks is that we would re-energize our passion for the gospel that the gospel becomes a a way of life for us, not just that we're thankful for what God has done for us, not just that we're resting just in what God has done for us, but that we're passionate about taking that message of reconciliation out into a world that is in great need of the gospel and that it flows through us and that message, it becomes a part of everything that we do. Uh, The gospel gives us perspective. And it causes us to think beyond ourselves, about how we look at our families, our neighborhood. It gives us a perspective about those that we send into missions. It gives us a perspective about the call of the gospel on our lives as relates to the Great Commission, as the reality of who we are in the light and a dark world. The gospel is powerful. It so captivated the life of Paul. We see it all through the New Testament as he calls us to be a people about the gospel. That through our lives and in our lives and we go through the motions of our lives, that the gospel and the viewing of it and everything that we do, that whatever we do, we do all to the glory and to the honor of the God, of the God that we serve. God did not call us or deliver us or save us to inactivity. He didn't save us to just enjoy the benefits of salvation and and to wallow in the grace and the mercy without ever having any other impact. He called us to be a people, his own people, resting in the work of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God and going forth in the power of the gospel, in the power of the strength of our God. And we need to really avoid that. And I'm hoping that in this time that we have, that we re-energize our passion. Today we're gonna look at the gospel, my purpose. 
Next week, we're going to look at the gospel, the cost of it. Yeah, about, uh, hopefully half of you don't not come because we talk about the cost of the gospel. It's not cheap, by the way, in case you don't know. Jesus didn't mince any words about the cost of following him. And we should not run from it or ignore it. And we should not be afraid of it. We need to embrace the things that he had to say. Then we're going to look at, we're going to have three weeks of our missions month or our missions time. And we're going to look at local missions as well as our missions trips. We're going to have one Sunday and we're going to have some interviews and talk about those, those things that are going on so that we gain a, a better perspective of the gospel as it goes forth, not only locally here, but as we're sending out teams from within our church. And then the following two weeks, we're gonna be looking at the missionaries that we support. And we have a couple of them that will be here, some others will be using video, and we'll be looking at them and seeing some of our missionaries serve at a great cost. We have one that has gone through tremendous persecution, being called in by the government and being threatened, and seeing pastors who have been beaten. We need to understand the battle of the gospel that we're in. And we have people that are going out and we're supporting them. And then we're gonna look and we're gonna see that the gospel is unstoppable. There's nothing that's gonna stop the gospel. Even if we're inactive, gospel's gonna go forth. Because God will accomplish all that he is intending to accomplish, but he's called us to be a part of it. We're gonna look at that today. That when we understand or increase our passion for the gospel, we begin to understand our purpose in the gospel. That as God has delivered us and redeemed us and set us free, he's also commissioned us. He's given us a responsibility of a ministry, of declaring the ministry or the message of reconciliation. And when we have purpose, we know the why and the importance of what we're doing. I was, uh, I was about 12 years old, maybe 13. You know, times are a little different now, uh, now than they were then, obviously. But I looked around and I knew I was about four years away from driving and I wanted to have my own car. I remember my mom and dad had their cars, but I knew they weren't going to be real willing to share them. So in my mind, I said, you know, I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy my own car. So I, I intended, I literally put a little chart together and how much I needed approximately. And I began to clean yards and mow. I got painting jobs. I got selling jobs. I began to work going door to door selling. I remember putting these little flyers. I got a little job putting these flyers on door and literally would run the yard putting one on the door because I got half a cent for every one I put out. You know, think about how long you have to work to make some money there. But back in the day, a penny was worth a little bit more than it is today, you know. But I mean, I worked and I did that over, over three and a half years when I was about six months from 16. I had enough money that I said to my dad, I go, dad, I've got this money. I want to buy a car. And my dad began looking and about three months before I turned 16, I actually I actually had bought my first car. It was a 1973 AMC Gremlin. I, I, <laughs> it was the first year that AMC put a V8 in that little car. It was actually the same size as a Volkswagen. Yeah, uh -huh. I, I, I should have gotten a picture and put it up here so you could see, because uh, I was on the wrestling team and we would go to matches and I could get about eight to nine guys in that little car. 
We turn the heater up, you know, you're trying to get, got to do your weigh-in, so you got to make weight. And we put our little sweatsuits on, turn the heat full blast. Yeah. <laughs> Things you do when you're young that you would never think, like, you know, but, uh, but, you know, there was a tremendous purpose in those years that I'd never lost. I can remember having a job once doing concrete and, 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 and that's hard work. And man, you know, and I remember doing the concrete going, I'm thinking about that car. That was, that was my purpose. Everything I did, as soon as I had that car, then I realized I had to keep more jobs because you got to pay to put gas in the car and you got to buy insurance. My dad made me do all that. You know, you start, you start moving along with the purpose, but people with a high purpose have a passion for what they're doing and they're deeply committed. If I, as a young boy, wasn't committed to getting that car, I would never have made it. But there was a passion, there was a purpose. And people who lack purpose may try for a moment or a day, but they quickly get discouraged. They want results. They don't want the grind. And we see that in our culture today, right? We want immediate gratification. We want to immediately come back. And the grind, we... We don't like, and therefore we become, we aren't committed enough to the purpose to apply an effort consistently until the mission is accomplished. And one of my desires is that we would understand as God's people is to have the purpose of understanding the proclamation of the gospel. That we don't just try it and we get discouraged because the results weren't fast enough that we get out of our own way sometimes and trust God in the message, not expecting the message to be relied on us, but finding ourselves resting on the power and the strength of what God has, did, has done, that he is the one that carries that message through us. It's God that's at work, that we have in the gospel an eternal purpose in Jesus Christ, in that message of the gospel, we have a purpose of, of eternal worth, of eternal power, and of eternal life. It's the only message, it's the only thing you can share with somebody that has eternal results. You can share stock market information. You can share skill. You can teach ways of life. And it's short term, but the message of the gospel has eternal benefits. And why we as God's people wouldn't want to share that is that we lose sight and we lose sight of our purpose and we lose sight of the, of the power of the gospel to live in, with such purpose, to live out such a purpose and to speak of such a purpose, the purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, Jesus does not transform our life for inactivity. He transform it, transforms it for his glory. Jesus is glorified as we become more and more like him, and we become more and more like him as we declare his glory through the gospel, that he who knew no sin became sin, that we might be made in the righteousness of God. The great exchange, what a powerful message that we have. And the gospel so captured, captured the life of, the, of Paul. And we see that in, in Acts chapter 6, where we're at today in our message. And we'll be looking at, <clears throat> in Acts chapter 6, the picture is that Paul has been in prison now for a couple of years under, under Felix and then Festus. 
And they didn't find anything wrong with Paul. And they're, they're trying to decide. The Jews are trying to plot to kill Paul. They're trying to take his life. They, they want him to come back to Jerusalem that they might kill him on the way back. And, and Festus Caps keeps him. And there he is in prison. They hear nothing. So King Agrippa comes along. He was one of the Herods. In fact, his grandfather was the Herod at the time, or the ruler, Jewish leader at the time, at the time of the birth of Christ. It was interesting that King Agrippa wants to hear. Ephesus tells him, so here Paul is giving an account of what God has done. And he's begun to describe. And, and there's this pomp. And you know, King Agrippa shows up. And there's all this pomp. And there's, there's rulers and important people in this room to come to hear Paul share his defense. Think about this. What a moment. That here he is, that he's given the platform to share the gospel to some of the most important people of his day. And he begins to share about what God was doing and how, how he, and before he knew Christ, he was, he was one that had orders and he dragged out Christians and he had them killed and he, he did all these things. And we pick up in verse 12, he says, in, in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priest. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and to those who journeyed with me. And when, he had fall, when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goals. And I, say, and I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. What a shocker that Paul had dedicated his life to this point at every, doing everything he could to the destruction of the church and to believers, taking their own lives, imprisoning them, and now he's being thrown off of, a, off of a donkey and the great light shone around him and he asked the question, okay, who are you? I'm Jesus. Radical, radical change. And Jesus goes on and he says to him, but rise and stand upon your feet. Understand that this is Paul's account of what Jesus has said to him. For I have appeared to you for this purpose. And I love this statement. For this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and they may receive the forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Remember, this is Jesus speaking, faith in Jesus. That last verse is an incredible verse. But I want to go back to verse 16. That, that Jesus speaking to Paul says, says, I've, I, I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you. Now, this is specifically talking about Paul's appointment and the ministry and what God had for him in the next step. That he was to appoint him as a servant who would take this gospel and would take it out to others. So we go, okay, that was Paul's appointment, but that's not for us, right? Are we not called? Do we not have the responsibility within the body of Christ to proclaim the good news of salvation? Yeah. 
We all say want to say yes because we know we've been raised to, that it's obe- in obedience, right? But let's look at a couple of passages. First one I want to look at is Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Most of you know these verses. Some would say, hey, these are, this is Jesus talking to the 12, and it's a, com- it's a commandment to the 12, but not to us. And I, and I would say that in the last part of it there where he says, he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So they're to be teaching us these things as well. In this verse, Jesus is meeting right before his ascension. He says to them, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he uses these phrases, go therefore and make disciples. Let me ask you this question. How do you make disciples if you don't proclaim the gospel? You know, sometimes in all of our theology, we're really good at understanding, hey, we're going to go about making disciples, but how do you make disciples without sharing the gospel? It's people coming to Christ, and he's telling us to go in all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So there's this picture whereby Jesus is is calling the disciples and he's telling them to go out and to make disciples. And they're making disciples by baptizing, by teaching, and by going. And there's this picture whereby as they go, they're proclaiming the gospel. As they go, they are baptizing. That's how, they're, how we know that they're coming to Christ. They're teaching them the things of the word of God. And in the process, they're making disciples. We're followers of Jesus Christ. One of the The vision that we have here at NBC is that we are learning to follow Christ. So if we learn Christ and we learn of the gospel and we begin to understand the truth of the gospel as it relates to our atonement, that he is our sacrifice, he is our propitiation, he is our reconciliation, he is our redemption, and we understand the depths of those terms as it relates to the gospel, and we just stop there, we are missing out. It's, 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 it's that we learn of these things and we understand them in our lives and it so radically captures, captures our lives like it did the Apostle Paul. It so much captures our lives that we take it out and we share it. The gospel is to be so intimate in our lives that it impacts every aspect of our lives, our lives flow through the grid of the gospel, changing who we are. And it doesn't just stop at some point where we feel uncomfortable. The gospel is going to go forth. I want you to notice there's two things here. I think it was, um, I think I read this from Paul Tripp, if I remember right. But, <clears throat> but notice here, he says, all authority has been given to him on earth, heaven and earth. All authority has been given to Jesus. As he's giving this and as he's commissioning these, to go, these ones to go out in his name, to do these things, he's telling them, hey, authority has been given to me. All authority on heaven and on earth. Go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then notice what he says at the last part. And, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The beauty of this commissioning to me that I look at is these two phrases, the beginning and the end, because the reality is you cannot share the gospel powerfully without the work of God in your life. 
and you have to depend on him to go with you. Just as much as I depend on the work of God and the truth of God, as I stand here in the righteousness of Christ, I do that by faith. And just as much as taking a step by faith as I incorporate those truths of my life, as God is sanctifying me and setting me apart in Christ, and I do that by faith, it's just as true I step out by faith, believing God to use me when sharing the gospel, not the power of my personality, not the ability of my words, not the technicality of my testimony, but the truth of the gospel that changes a life, takes people from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Let it motivate us. Let it energize us. Let it move us to a place that our life of purpose is so entangled in the truth of the gospel as it relates to who we are in Jesus and also how we live in Christ. Let us be those people. Let us be that faith comes by hearing. How does it come? By hearing the word of God. That we become a people that the, inner, the word of God and the truth of God is so intertwined in who we are that it comes out in the things that we share and the things that we do and that we say. Let me look at the second verse here I want us to see. This is a passage that has powerfully impacted me in, in my life. He's here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 17. Uh, it's an amazing chapter. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Amen? And it's talking about the transformational work of God where he takes us from life or from death to life and he gives us a new life from death to life in Christ Jesus. We're not who we once were. That's why I like when I'm dealing with sin in my life, I, I remind myself that's not who I am anymore and I nail it back to the cross because that's not who I am. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. How is that possible? He says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. What did he do? In Christ, God reconciled. We were enemies of God because of our iniquity, because of our sin. We were separated from him. And what God did in his son, Jesus Christ, through his work, through his death, his burial, his resurrection, who became our propitiation, who, who stood in our place and he took upon himself these things. Because of what he did, he reconciled and we're not at war with God anymore if we trusted Christ into our life. We now have peace with God because we've been justified by faith and we stand in his presence in the righteousness of Christ because Christ has reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Did you just see that? In fact, he goes on. <clears throat> he says, that is, explaining, in Christ, when Christ was here, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and has entrusting and entrusting us, to us, the message of reconciliation. See what that just said? That God was in Christ, that God was through Christ reconciling the world he was forgiving their sins through Christ. And now, what has he done? He's entrusted us with that message of reconciliation with the gospel. How powerful is that? 
How powerful. I think the most powerful thing is that, is that he, doesn't, he doesn't hold our sins against us anymore. What, what, what amazing message. How powerful. Therefore, we are ambassadors. We're God's representatives in this world. This is not my home. This is not my home. You know, I know there used to be the deal, like 100 years from now, nobody will remember you. I figure about five years after I'm gone, nobody will remember me. Um, we're ambassadors. We're God's representatives. And God making his appeal through who? Uh, through the pastor. And that doesn't mean me, right? Through the elders. Through the really spiritual people. To the ones who know more about the scriptures than I. No, God's making an appeal through us. We implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. How is that possible? For our sake, not, listen to what he says, for our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's a great, great exchange whereby Jesus took upon himself our unrighteousness and he dealt with it righteously and he gave us his righteousness and we stand in the righteousness of Christ. That's why we have nothing. If you stand up there, that's why it takes a broken and contrite heart to approach the Lord. Because you stand there and you think you've got something or you've done something, you've accomplished something, I'm sorry, it's not enough. Because we stand only in the righteousness of Christ. It is a radical life change with the results of what the work of the gospel does in our lives. And it to totally excites me. It's why I love baptism so much. When you see these people coming and they're, they're radically changed, and some of you recently have been baptized, and we've seen the radical changes that are going on. Don't lose hope. And everything you do, everything you do, do in the, to the glory of the Father. Every day, what is my purpose? The purpose of the gospel and my affections of the gospel and its impact on my life. And when we talk about life change, there's this, this, these verses, verse 16 to 18, are just packed with life change. It's amazing how... Paul's purpose of life was so clear because he was so captivated by the gospel and what he did and what he lived. And it brought about life change. Look, if you will, at verse 18. I think there's, there's like five aspects of this life change that's brought out in verse 18. In fact, while I'm thinking about it, let me say this unless I forget. I was sharing this verse this week with somebody. Sorry, I'm really, I'm either really excited or I'm really thirsty, one or the other this morning. But um, I was sharing with somebody this week, this verse, and I was reading, and I was like, look at this, look what it says, this is incredible. And they said to me, they said, yeah, I pray that over my wayward child. I went, wow. They said, I know somebody that 20, they shared this with me, and they said they've been praying this over their wayward child for 20 years before they came back to Christ. And when you read this passage, it's a perfect passage. I mean, I think we should read scripture over, or pray scripture over our children, but 
Man, you read this passage, you look at it, it just stresses, look at verse 18, to open their eyes, to open their eyes. In fulfilling Isaiah in Luke chapter four, Jesus said, I have come to recover the sight of the blind. Physically, yes, I'm sure, you know, Jesus did that, but more importantly, spiritually, that we as God's people have a message that can open the eyes of the spiritually blind. Think about that. You have a message in the gospel of Jesus Christ that when you share it, it has the ability and the impact and the power to take somebody and open their eyes that they might see life. How amazing is that? You know, I mean, God, I can share with you how God brought me out of projects and different things, but that isn't a big deal, you know? You know what's really amazing? This is what's amazing. That God somehow, by his power and his might, he opened my eyes and I see the gospel. And for the first time, I begin to understand love. I begin to understand comfort. I begin to understand righteousness. And I still deal with this body of sin that tries to steal those truths away from me. But the reality is it opens our eyes. Look what else what it says. It says to open the, their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. To turn from darkness to light. When we proclaim the, the gospel, people are turned away from, from darkness and they're turned to the light. How powerful is that in Isaiah chapter 9? Prophesying about Christ, it says the people who have walked in darkness have seen a what? Have seen a great light. Does it seem like our world is getting darker and darker? I hear a lot of us believers complain about this world. I hear a lot of us talk about how, how wayward the world is going. Does it seem like it's getting darker and darker? Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. I think of Titus chapter 2, verse 11, that the, 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 there it says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. And this picture of, of all of humanity, that the, the picture is of like when you're, when I always think of the Grand Canyon, standing on the rim there and watching the horizon as the sun would come up and the rays of the sun would just begin to shoot off across the darkness and begin to expose the beauty of the canyon and the beauty of, of, of all the, the landscape around it. And it's the same picture that, that God's sending his son, that the, that the grace of God began to shine into the light, darkness of men, began to shine, bringing salvation to all those who would believe in Christ. Wow. This is what the gospel does. It impacts how we live. It impacts our purpose. It impacts our meaning of life. And then the next phrase is just, it just kind of blows you away. If you don't believe in a spiritual warfare, you should read this phrase and believe in it. It says, and from the power of Satan to God, there's a spiritual warfare and there's an adversary that wants to do everything he can to destroy your life. And the gospel takes us from the kingdom of darkness and death into the kingdom of God and the kingdom of life. 
In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, I believe, it says this, that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil. And it's talking about Jesus. And through his experience of his death, his burial, and his resurrection, he he destroyed the power of death that it would not have any power over us anymore. And then verse 15, it says, and to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to a lifelong slavery, enslavement. We have a message of the gospel that can deliver people from bondage of sin into life. In September, I went back to Maine. It was the first church I ever pastored. It had been 30 years since I've been there. It was such a joy to go back and see all those folks and visit with them. And just God just gave such a blessing. When I went back, there was a man there by the name of Alan. His wife had uh, gone to our church. I knew him. I'd shared Christ with him. He was a hard man, man. He was just a hard man, logger, truck driver, just didn't see any need. And when I went back, there he was. Came to Christ about 10, 15 years ago. Came to Christ. So important in that church and the ministry of that community, the testimony of what God had done in his life, reflecting the gospel. It was so powerful. So powerful. I remember praying for him and now seeing him and part of the family of God. Then it goes on, he says, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. In Luke chapter five, it's the the paralytic who's laying there and Jesus says these words, your sins are forgiven. All the Sadducees and the Pharisees around, who is this man? Who does he think he is that he can forgive sins? And Jesus knowing their thoughts. And he basically, and he replies to them, he says, in order that you may know that I have authority to forgive on earth to forgive sins, I say to this man, get up and walk. And he did. He got up and walked. Because God, and only God, can forgive sins. What good news? What is good news in a world that is always trying to downplay sin and not call it sin? In a world that kind of blows it off and says, oh, each to his own. In a world that is constantly trying to redefine sin, why do we waste our time? Jesus forgives it. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you have done in the past. He forgives sin. What a message. Hey, world. Hey, listen. Jesus forgives sin. Come to him. Hear the message that he who knew no sin became sin, that we might be dressed in the righteousness of Christ, that we would stand in the righteousness of God through his son, Jesus Christ. Do you believe? Do you believe that? And we get ridiculed for that. And it's okay. It's okay. Last part, there he says, and a place among those who are sanctified by faith, there it is, by faith in me, in Jesus Christ. When the gospel is proclaimed and people receive the gospel, 
and that here receives it into their lives, they are given a place in the family of God, an eternal life, an eternal place. It's not by works, but by faith. And if you've received by faith Jesus Christ in your life, you have an eternal place with him. Amen? So how do you not share the gospel? If you have that good in news, how do you not share it? Why do we call it good news? What good news can you not think of? I wish I had time to go through the passage and see that there's things that are so powerful here that Paul expecting the results of the gospel and, and his obedience to the gospel. And, the, and yes, if you're going to follow after the gospel, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be people who are going to go, what? I thought you were so smart. Well, I mean, I see it in our comments sometimes on our, on our Facebook. Hey, come to reality. There's no God. Hey, there's going to be a reality when every knee bows and every tongue confesses. And between now and then, let it be us that is proclaiming the good news that the world might know that they might, might not face a hell and judgment, but they would face the grace of God and receive him into their life. Hey, to one, you proclaim the gospel, and it's like death. And to the other, you proclaim the gospel, and it's like life. I don't know if they're going to receive it as death, receive it as life. That isn't my responsibility. My responsibility is to share it and allow God to do the work. So how do I not share the gospel? If I really understand the power of the gospel, that the hearer might believe and not know death, but to know life, what is the urgency? And what about the power of the gospel? Why wouldn't we share it? And I just pray, God, help us. Help us to share this message. Help us, Father, not to fear people. Help us to understand the urgency and not to, not to, not to, get, not to get caught up in ourselves. Oh, that's not my gifting. I'm just a shy person. God uses all of us. He's given us all the power of this gospel to share the message of reconciliation. And Jesus has been given all power on heaven and earth. And he said, hey, go, and I will be with you. I will be with you. It's not a dependence on ourselves and our ability to craft a perfect description of the gospel. It's not our ability to share some amazing story. It is the power of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes lives. And when you share it, you don't depend on your ability. You depend on God. And by faith, you share it, trusting God to use it. You don't share it because you're so great order but you share it because God has told us and he will empower us and he will strengthen us and he will take that message and accomplish all that he attends. And Tom, it'll be a fragrance of death and some a fragrance, fragrance of life. But we will walk in the gospel, amen? Let's pray. Father, I do pray, Father, that you will touch our hearts right now and Father, you would just... Uh, Confront us. 
Sometimes, Father, we just get comfortable in living our lives without necessarily thinking about our neighbor who might be dying and going to hell. And how sad is that, that we would have the message of eternal life and we don't see the opportunity to proclaim such great news. So, Father, move in our hearts. Father, strengthen our weak knees and our weak elbows. We live in a world that, Father, through propaganda and through so many other means of, of communication is just, just so quick to attack and so quick to, to, to just try to tear us down. Let us, Father, not be afraid. Let us stand in the strength and the might of our God. Let us stand in your might. Let us, just as we trust the message that has redeemed us and delivered us and established us in Jesus Christ, let us trust that message as we share it and in fact others as well. You speak to us, Father. You direct us, your people, that we might honor and glorify you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.